Welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. Brought to you by Coca-Cola. <laughs> what? I don't think you could say that. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, you can. No. What should I say? I say, uh, well, by your business. This one's brought to you by... The Hunter Phelps Productions. The Hunter Phelps, actually. The Hunter Phelps Productions. Hey, everybody. I know you've just been dreading the fact that you haven't listened to a podcast in a week, but... Guess what? I was deep, deep in the French Alps with um, the Hunter Phelps and uh, this a new friend of mine. His name is Andy Stump with a P, not with an F on the end, right, Hunter? Correct. Stump as an old rotten log. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a really, really fun time. Uh, I just wanted to end this hunting season was just a super super tough hunt and um man we we found just the best place to go um i'll i'll post um the outfitter on some of my social media accounts so you guys can if you're ever interested in coming to france um it's just a really unique experience might i mean i would say it's probably a once in a lifetime experience but i've never been able to really bow hunt in Europe and this was a place I've always wanted to bow hunt and uh, obviously I really wanted to to enjoy this with Andy because him and I started out our bow hunting our fall season uh, on August 24th in Alberta so it's been a whirlwind for you dude yeah it's been a uh, buffet plate of uh, <laughs> options. I don't think I've repeated a single type of terrain. And other than going for elk in Montana and then in Utah, because I couldn't find any in elk, it's been a different type of hunting every single time. <coughs> yeah, you, every single place you've gone is so different. and It's been a, a fire hose to the face, yeah, for the, sure, for the last four months. Well... When I thought of fire hose, all I could think of is <laughs> that projectile vomiting coming out of Hunter's lips. This is going to be on every podcast for the next six months. Talking about it, might. Well, I can tell you this: every time I'm feeling down and need a laugh, I'm going to have Andy send me that text of you bent over, uh, blowing shrapnel, <laughs> blowing out fromage. There's uh, nothing that makes you feel better. And watching somebody who feels worse. <laughs> You're like, you know what? I ain't got it that bad. That's what y'all were thinking. Yeah. And I was over there holding on to that little twig. For when support. I saw you holding on to that twig, I don't know if I'd ever, <coughs> I don't know if I've ever in my life had it that bad. Yeah. No, that was, uh, man, that's one of those moments where, actually, you and I laugh pretty damn hard about Jordan's onesie and that whole deal. Like in that podcast, we were laughing really hard. It was hard on the stomach. But, man, have we laughed at, at your expense this week, Hunter. <laughs> I apologize. Yeah. I've got thick skin, but one thing that I did not sign up for <laughs> when I came to France was to be tortured by these two dudes. <laughs> like, I, I should have known it was going to happen. But uh, we've had a good time, and we've seen a lot of the new country that many people will never see. And uh, we're all... Especially me is a long ways from Kentucky. <laughs> they don't make hills like this back home. Nope. You're, I reached back and grabbed Hunter's leg on the way here. We had about a four-hour drive to the airport. We're sitting in the we're sitting in our hotel. We got about four hours of sleep before our flights. And I reached back to <laughs> to squeeze uh, Hunter's calf just because I was wondering if it was as sore as mine was. And <laughs> I don't even know what you said, but I laughed for about the I next... I said, don't squeeze my leg, it might snap. I haven't ate anything in about seven days. <laughs> I, thought, I think you said I can't actually feel my leg. 
I was trying to drive the car through tears in my eyes. It was so funny. Yeah. The actually the only thing is kind of weird, but the only thing I could see in my mind for the last couple of days was McDonald's. We've ate some pretty interesting foods over the past week, and <laughs> which one was your favorite, yeah, by the what? way? My favorite, unquestionable, <laughs> the cold goat back ham with hair that was still on it. I guess they decided not to field dress it all the way. <laughs> it was rough. Yes. There's nothing I can compare that to, you know. But first buy, I, actually, I think I took a nibble just to satisfy the Frenchies. So I'm, I'm okay, you know. <laughs> but. For everybody listening, for some context, he has his first passport. First his stamp. First stamp in his passport. So he, I wasn't the only one drinking from a fire hose. Yeah, Hunter. He, Definitely he out of my yeah. comfort zone this oh, week. Man. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that was your favorite meal? <coughs> I mean, pretty much. Oh, I'm, I'm just going to come out and say it. Everything I ate this week tastes like cat food. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I, would, I would put everything in the same category as cat food. I would tell you. Oh, man. Oh, man. It's What's true, so man. bad about this is this is actually the first podcast I've done in a while where I haven't had a adult beverage. So people can't blame the fact that I've had one too many on how I'm laughing right now. But this has just been, you're really good at what you do. And I I had a lot of fun with you in Georgia when Andy and I had you on our hunt down there. And uh you were excited to come to a different country for the first time. I really had, I just completely have been doing this so long in, in different countries and different cultures to where I just, I didn't even think about it. But actually, my first world championship, I went to Croatia and it was my same thing. First, like, first stamp and a passport because I made that team and it was like, 14 years ago and here I am on you know thinking it was pretty cool to travel uh you know I had traveled internationally but it was always like to go into kind of a vacation spot or something and you really don't you know you normally book into your own culture really you're just in a different location but this was the real deal where we got on a bus drove all through the Croatian hills same thing super dodgy roads you're on this coach bus that's swaying back and forth and man the food that I saw there just totally wigged me out so I my first world championship I was just drinking one liter bottles of water and I found this little park about a mile down the road from we had one one break day and there was this little park about a mile down the road and this guy sold hot dogs and they weren't called hot dogs, but every day I would run a mile down this road so I could get a dang hot dog, and I would just drink big bottles of water. You probably was... scarfed down the hot dogs like I scarfed down the Big Mac while I go to McDonald's. <laughs> I don't. I never even saw the Big Mac. It was gone before you guys took a bite. <laughs> I was actually counting your fingers. Yeah, uh, I almost had nubs after finding McDonald's. Actually, it's just so ironic because I'm not a huge fan of fast food, but. A McChicken or a Big Mac compared to a goat hairy leg <laughs> was just unrelatable. What? So that was your favorite. What was your least favorite? I, I got to know the answer to that. My least favorite? Yeah, what was the least appealing thing that... Well, that that is probably just about the most unappealing thing. <laughs> but, I mean, I could, I could go down the list. I mean, okay, we got the... Uh, how would you pronounce it? The stuff you put on your bread, like the like the wild hog, like the pate. Pate, yes. <laughs> the that, wild hog. Pate. That didn't sit right with me. It didn't sit right. <laughs> no, it did not. Um, what would um, be number three then? Well, also, guys, I come up here and I'm actually not a big fan of cheese. I like queso dip, and I've I've been getting a hard time for this. I like melted cheese a lot of times, but. People up here in France, they love their cheese and bread. <laughs> That's like they could eat that for meals every day. And so that put me in the worst case scenario. I don't like cheese, so I starve myself for six <laughs> days. So he was fairly dehydrated by day three, which is when 
Andy arrived after three days of being canceled flights. Would you want to you want to describe that experience? Uh, I don't even know where to start. Just let it out, man. Yeah, now is your time. I'm supposed to fly through Atlanta, which had weather. Apparently, Atlanta doesn't handle ice and snow very well, so they actually can't. When I was in Austin doing the speaking engagement for my buddy, one of uh, one of my dearest friends, I've known him forever. I'm down there, I get an alert on my phone. Hey, we canceled your flight. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Can I get some more information about this? We've rebooked you. So it was Austin to Minneapolis, Minneapolis to London, London to here. So I get on the plane in Austin, which is already to the gate 20 minutes late, moderately tight connection to Minneapolis. I was already worried about my stuff not making it because I've had uh, base jumping trips to Switzerland where I've had two hours in between and they're like, oh, we didn't have enough time to get your bags on board. Like, really? Yep. Because the plane I got off of and the international one, I could actually see them, so I don't understand what the problem is. Yeah. So I was already concerned. It was on a sub-two-hour. Actually, it was a sub-90-minute layover in Minneapolis. 20 minutes late to the gate for the airplane to come in. They have a crew of flight attendants, stewards and stewardesses, on the aircraft. And they, I'm sitting in the first row so I can hear them talking about well we don't have enough seats for the paid passengers so we need to get these people off well now let's just ask for volunteers let's just keep raising the amount of money for the volunteers I'm sitting there looking at my watch now we're 30 minutes past our takeoff time now we're 40 minutes like all right fine get this stewardess and the stewards off like five people they get them off then they change their mind then they put them back on then they get them off and then they had people there was it was flight was oversold they had five seats they had eight people who wanted to get on the plane. So they started doing the, hey, if you stay here, we'll give you 300 bucks. Hey, if you stay here, we'll give you 400 bucks. I'm refreshing my Delta app. It's like my arrival time is now six minutes after my departure time for the international flight. Oh, gosh. But the captain's standing there, too, and he they're looking at their list and like, hey, we know you guys are going to be late. We're going to call ahead. So we land, and as we pull up to the gate, the captain's like, hey, uh, yeah, they they left. I'm like, oh, that's that's awesome. <laughs> That's when I sent you the first text. So that happened to a ton of people in Minneapolis. The line just to talk to the, the agent to get a hotel was 200 deep. So we're just going to go to the Marriott app for that. We're going to skip that portion right to the Marriott app. But I go and I find one of the, the senior agents for Delta. And I was talking to him. And the guy said, hey, if you don't need your bags, just leave them here. We'll hold on to them. You can come. You'll get rebooked tomorrow. We'll get you on your new flight. So I go and I get rebooked. The next day, international flights, you're generally going to get one every 24-hour time period. So it's in the afternoon. I go, and I get booked on the flight. I get on the flight, and I'm watching the Delta app. I'm like, where's my – I always get a notification. My bags are loaded. The pilot's super cool. He was from Austria. He's like, oh, I know exactly what you're doing. I'm going to go down and make sure your bags get loaded. It's like, unbelievable. I go down. He's like, yep, they're on the plane. I started getting alerts. My bags are on the plane. No problem. Fly into the one airport on the face of Earth that you should never fly into, which is Charles de Gaulle in Paris. <laughs> if you have a choice between that and sawing your foot off without anesthesia, <laughs> saw your foot off. I've had the worst experiences in that airport. I'm sure they're phenomenal people. I'm sure they're doing the best they can. But I've missed three-hour connections trying to make it through customs. I've had them lose bags. From there, I was hopping on a uh, Air France flight, which is a partner of Delta. Get on the Air France flight, get into Geneva on time. Like, I made it. Yeah, I made it. My bags didn't, because they were still booked on the original tags from the day before. So I should have gotten my bags out of the luggage area, rechecked them back in so they were tagged properly, because they landed in Charles de Gaulle with tickets saying they should have been at London Heathrow. So it should be no surprise that they didn't end up anywhere. You guys are on your second day of hunting. I spent about 12 hours looking at conveyor belts go round and round and round and round and just trying to talk myself down off the ledge of going and finding a clock tower and a rifle. And, uh, yeah, ended up getting the bags finally, then had to rent a car, then had to drive for four hours, which ended up meeting you guys on whatever day that was. And, yeah, blow a little Which led to you blowing the steam off and it... Trinkled down to me, <laughs> which got me. Life's about the knee. choices you make, Hunter. You're right. You're and right. you made some choices. Yeah. yeah. So we, the people you hang around with. We, we've got bad company. Yeah. So that happened to Andy. But day, day one for us, we had 
Well, we started out, me and Hunter met in Newark. We had... I might have gotten the better end of the deal, we actually. Had, yeah, we had, a not, we had a nine-hour layover. So we actually got picked up in Newark by my buddy Jim Miller. He drove us into New York City to meet my buddy Torsten Luth. Which was the most interesting time I've ever had eating. It was with the UFC. Yep, UFC fighter. The manager for Bruno Mars. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. John Dudley. Hunter Phelps, which is the coolest dude out of all. Right, for sure you. You had a fingers on that hand. Yeah, you count his fingers. fingers. He's out. Okay, well, I'm four people. Okay, you're four people in. And we all order our meals. You actually ordered something that I was extremely surprised you ordered, but you like seafood, which is why you ordered it. And everybody gets their food and they're eating, and Hunter just looking at his plate, and he just takes his fork and goes, Hey y'all, what's that? <laughs> it looked like one of them owl puke balls. You know how owls puke up this little because they can't really. I don't know how it works, but what did you order? Yeah, seafood scampi <coughs> or something. He ordered a big a big seafood plate and have you ever literally been to New York before? First time ever to New York. Oh, first man. time ever to New York. Right. Too. Actually, this, this is interesting. This is a classic. So he takes it out and it's either a scallop or a piece of shrimp that was like had at least three quarters inch of blue hair on it yeah all the way around yeah, it, it looked, looked like looked an like... owl vomit as you would say yeah and uh anyway he had to send his plate back waited for a new plate to come and uh you got the ahi tuna like i got which was good pretty good yeah then we had hardly much sleep flew all the way to switzerland then we immediately got off the plane, rented a car, drove through a snowstorm to the Olympic, well, the World Archery uh, Training Center um, by the Olympic headquarters. And first time experiencing that. First time experiencing that. Very cool. We shot. I got to sh- showed you the center. We're waiting on Andy, waiting on Andy, and then Andy starts saying, "I'm not going to make it. Nope, my bags aren't here. Nope, I'm not leaving till tomorrow." So we drove back to the airport with hardly nothing to eat. Then met our guide who drove us five hours through a snowstorm to get, because where we were supposed to hunt, got three feet of snow in one day and they officially shut down our passage. Um, So we had to trap like instantly in one day, relocate to four and a half hours different to hunt a whole different area. It's pretty so we were all we were all packed. Lateral. Yeah, we were all kind of packed for a different situation. But we got there. Hunter kind of looked at all the food like that first morning. Like, what the hell is all that stuff? First off, smack in the face. Like, <laughs> what my, was your breakfast offering? Uh, thinly sliced meats. Eggs. Yeah, and eggs. lots of cheese offerings, but no, <laughs> no cheese for me. There were some meats though, right? Yeah, I think. It's like salami and like we don't really know. Yeah, just a lot of like cat food stuff. Uh, <laughs> we had milk, um, some vegetables. Um, I don't know, man. So we had that. I can't name it all. Hunter and I went out. Meanwhile, it had snowed the whole night. We went up a pass that we didn't know this, but is a famous. Um, rally car pass for the Monte Carlo race. Very cool. And I mean, it was a ridiculously cool canyon where it just had nonstop switchbacks, crossing. And, cr- and meanwhile, we're doing this with a foot of snow. Our first, when you, me and you went out our first morning, we had a foot of snow. And that's when you learned about layering. Yeah, you know what? When somebody says you're going to go hunt in France, and it's going to be very, very frigid. Like, it's going to be, you're probably looking at hunting between 15 to 25 degrees. You know, it can be in that area. So I layered up warm. And, in fact, first morning out, I wore, like, four to five layers of clothes. <laughs> and first track back up the mountain, I about had a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm done. Like, this is... <laughs> Like, immediately smack in the face. Bam. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. He, he hadn't eaten. 
We I hadn't har- eaten. Hardly slept. We slept four hours that night. Didn't yeah. sleep on the plane. I was walking up the mountain eating handfuls of snow as I bent <laughs> down to go, which I learned by Andy that that's not actually a good idea in the long run because you lower your core heat. You lower your core body temperature and it sucks the heat out. You have to melt. It takes energy to right. melt this snow right. and then consume the snow. So when you're walking and, and staying active and you're sweating, it's good to just shed your layers and keep from sweating. And if you're walking anyways, you're going to get hot. So pretty much I spent the whole rest of the week wearing the same outfit, two layers of clothes, and that was money. That was money. Oh, yeah. And the drying my clothes ordeal. Yeah, you definitely did not know how to dry clothes. So I taught him how to do that, dry, drying clothes by a fire. Um, but you can imagine, after everything we've said, you can picture uh, poor Hunter as starting to deplete the body then day two which is the day andy actually got his bags we it started raining on our last night on our way off the mountain it started raining i mean raining and by the time we woke up in the morning we had already had three inches of rain and by the time we got tried to come off that mountain uh we had five inches of rain and all the snow that we had driven on one time and then packed one time and then had five inches of rain on it. So it Hunter was white knuckling the doors on these roads because it was sketchy. And then on the way down, it was twice as bad. And our French guy slid the truck right into the side of a <laughs> right into the side of a ditch and buried us out. He said cuss words in a meeting that was so hilarious. <laughs> you guys from America would never understand. It's just hard to explain. It's so humorous. Yeah. Listen to the French guys cuss. It was funny and uh caved the side of his truck in. Meanwhile we're in a ditch with half the truck down in the ditch and there's water. You can imagine a, a mountain that had a had three feet of snow on it, now has five inches of rain, and it's coming down the side of a of a logging road that we're now stuck in. So the water piling up behind the back tire was almost like bumper high. I mean, it was just piling up. Luckily, the guy had a winch, and he took out half the side of his thing on some trees. We had, we had no choice but to winch our car through. Shrubs. And... Uh, yeah, we get back, and Andy's waiting. You know, we were drenched then. Every bit of gear we had, it was so much water, you weren't staying dry. And then, so we're pretty much shot, and then here comes Andy. He's shot. He's mad. And Andy says, I pretty much just said, dude, I've been waiting for you to get here with that with that whiskey that you brought. And he's like, I got two bottles. <laughs> Meanwhile, we had already drank me and the french guy had already had a couple glass bottles i think we had one or two bottles of wine yeah and hunter had maybe a glass of wine and then andy came and then that's when the real clinic started andy and i dove into it and we pulled hunter down with us i tried to play catch up and that bad decision oh you caught up you caught up i caught up just all the way up (laughs) As the song goes. Um, what song is that? I'm all the way up. Okay, anyways. So the next morning I wake up and I'm hot and sweaty. And immediately I'm like, this ain't good. I haven't been sick all year. Go to the bathroom. Puke up three gallons of water. Cause I chugged water that morning. So I got immediately drunk again that morning. Before we even left the house at 5 o'clock in the morning. Driving up the mountain. And I casually said, Dudley. I'm about to puke in about five seconds, just letting you know. He said, what? I said, you might want to stop. I said, okay, here we go. I'm about to puke. I'm, I'm about to puke. And immediately I puked up in my puke bag because I was prepared. I knew it was going to come. I've been in that situation before. And that set the stage for the rest of the day, the worst day of my life, I think. The worst day. I was immediately ready to call it quits, throwing the towel then. In fact, our outfitter was like, hey, we can't take this kid nowhere. He He's going to die on the mountain. <laughs> he's not going to make it. And I'm sure you guys, if you stay tuned to social media in the next couple weeks, you're going to see me uh, head over heels puking my guts up <laughs> on the side of these mountains. <coughs> so lesson number five, don't get drunk, too drunk on the mountain.
Yeah, because the part that we've left out is these mountains are amazing. They're spectacular, and they they will break you. They are they're going to break you. They're going to break you, and having traction and we went down slopes where you literally have to set your bow down up above you and grab everything you can grab and pull and thrust at the same time to get up and you know just keep in mind we went from you know feet of snow to to just pouring water to then everything that was packed packed snow from previous snowfalls would then turn to just sheer ice i got a picture of a hunter coming down off this one slope and i mean it just looks like a frozen it looks like the antarctica or something and you took a bad wipeout on that one too took out a good chunk of my elbow <laughs> and it was it was it wasn't even mega steep but it's like you're walking on ice cubes the whole way down like every four or five steps you're gonna end up on your butt and it's it's hard to hunt chamois like that, man. Yeah, these chamois are amazing. They they live in areas where no one else can get there, and they just they're you know I think a lot of people would look at one and think yeah it's not something I would want to save up to go hunt. Um, and honestly, in the past, I know that I was like that too. But now that I've got to the point where I'm I'm looking for different challenges as a hunter. I realize now that these people that that are just at you know that just are gung ho about chamois, it's not they're not really adamant about the trophy a hundred percent. It's about the adventure and the experience and how rewarding it is to kill. One yeah, because none. Of, hey, we the, all of us came home right now. And we don't have one. We don't. And uh, the only. The only two shots we had were actually at the same, the same one. Um, we came over a hill and we actually he we didn't know he was there. He was bedded and he busted us and he went and stood, and he was kind of looking back and gave gave me time to range him and try to figure out a cut, and I made a shot and because we had already bumped him, when I made my shot he was running. I'd say on the bowstring. Uh, as soon as the bow fired. He was already moving, and he just literally was probably two yards out of the way when the arrow got there. And then, you know, we saw him go up and over the rise and up the next butte, and, you know, he kind of figured he was in a safe zone, didn't realize he still had good eyes on him. We got binoculars, and we bedded him down, and I pretty much said, all right, Andy, it's your go, man. I had my chance. Go for it. So you guys slipped down, and put on a good stock and pretty much got to about the same distance and took a you took a whack at him while he was Andy, feeding. Andy shot a rainbow at him. Yeah. And it looked like his money. In fact we were high fiving and yelling just all smiles because we just thought he didn't shot his lungs out. And we get over there and the chamois had done what's a good phrase to put it, he done got out of the way of this arrow. I'd say full matrix. Full matrix yeah. on his butt. <laughs> he took a header on the way out, though. He suffered when he yeah. ran off. Yeah. yeah he, <laughs> he tried to juke him out, but he nosedived into the, <laughs> into the rock pavement. Well, what, uh, I guess from a trip like this, what would you say you learned, Andy? Because you're just, Man. you've learned on every trip. Yeah. So, what, I mean, what do you take away from this? I mean, the shot I had on that chamois was my left foot was at least a foot and a half below my right. Yep. The animal was well below my natural point of aim for where I practiced in my backyard. I was came to full draw, and I'm trying to find a place where I could actually get clearance for my cams. Like, everything was the exact opposite of... I'm just comfortable in my backyard. Perfect. Hey, everything's good to go. And then, of course, he's like, the chamois slowly moving, so you have that feeling of, like, like I need to get this done. Yeah. Like, we need to get an arrow in the air here. It's just, for me, I need to, I, I know I need to find a place to practice more angles for one. And yeah. just, I mean, in my backyard, I just go through the same thing every time. I'm like, all right, stance. It's the way I like it to be. Oh, I'm on a little bit of a rise here. And by yeah. that, I mean like one millimeter above, you know, my yeah. toes above my heels. Yeah. So I need to practice different shooting stances and definitely more angles. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, same bow in my hands, but man, it was a different ball game. 
Well, the other thing, too, you start to learn is, like, I don't know if you knew this is why I said it to him, but <clears throat> today we actually spotted a, a, sh a chamois that we thought we would have a good opportunity at. And we kind of, this was after that, after he had kind of, I thought he had sauced, but maybe he didn't, maybe he went after another male, but we were kind of just stuck in that spot where he said, let's wait here and see if he comes over the pass. And I, my footing was really bad. And so I'm like looking around and I just said, can we get right there where it was flat? And it was only another two yards away, but I could see that it had at least a two by two space where the ground was level. So a lot of times, you know, the more when you've had opportunities like that and you realize how dang tough it gets when your footing is bad, I get to the point where, especially when I'm on a spot and stock and I'm trying, I know I'm getting ready to be in a shot position, I'm more looking, you know, you're again, everything's a chess match. You're having to think, where do I have clearance for my limb? Where do I have cover to draw? And where do I have good footing? And those are all things that experience teaches you, but it's things that, you know, as a hunter, those are the small mistakes that you continually make to where, you know, it's one of the stories of, you know, I almost had them, but. Yeah. And. I mean, the footing for us wasn't, wouldn't even have been possible. We, I mean, we were on the side of that same hill. I just, you know, and if, when we come back, there'll be plenty of practice prior to that. Mm -hmm. Because I could have looked all day long for a flat section on that ground and it would never have presented itself in a position I could have shot from. So. Yeah. Yeah, was uh, I was pretty happy I missed by a narrow margin as opposed to complete air ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think, uh, I mean, I, I would rather have an air ball. Well, I'd rather miss by a narrow margin than, I guess, an air ball, but I'd rather have an air ball than a bad hit. But, yeah, this was, um, I told you guys coming here that uh, some of the field courses that I've shot throughout my career, it was... To shoot the course was close to doing a chamois hunt for the amount of up and down that you have to do. And really, one thing that you learn in that as a competitor, as a competitive archer, when you really go to a field course that is set up very technical to where you're continually climbing, 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 climbing as you're making shots and shooting down and climbing back up is you start to realize the importance of if you can't get your heart rate into a position to where you have control of yourself again, you just end up slinging arrows out there and like you're, you just, it's almost like rolling the dice. You know, I don't, you, you almost know that you, you know, you're capable of hitting it, but I hope this one makes it, you know, and that's, I learned that in field archery. You get to a target and your heart's just racing because you're out of shape and it was a real steep target to get to and maybe shot too fast. And you just realize, you know, that was just rolling the dice. That wasn't actually making a good shot. So that's why when we were stalking, you know, these are things I don't explain what I'm doing, but I'll, exp you know, we're on the subject now. But that's why when we were stalking and I knew. I didn't want to get to a distance where I knew he could say, okay, go ahead and take your shot and me be out of breath. So I, when he, when our guide was moving and trying to navigate, when I felt I was getting to the point where my heart rate was becoming elevated, I would stop and I would really start to try to control my breathing to the point where I knew when I got to him within my bow range, I was already stabilized. I wasn't get into a position where I would be getting rushed to make a shot and I really wasn't physically ready yet to make that shot so you know I think that's just why you know fitness and understanding like how to you know what kind of time it takes or how to control your heart rate just makes a big big difference in hunting you know and that's why I think that's why a lot of people don't have success because they say well you don't have to be in great shape to be a bow hunter and, and you don't but to be a successful one it sure does help i mean it definitely helps in those types of situations you're not going to do well at redline 
It helps my old job. I mean, I always kept in my back of my mind, like, you need to be able to shoot. So I would do the same thing, monitor a comfortable, or maybe not comfortable would be the good word for it, monitor a heart rate where I'm capable of taking a well-aimed shot. Because the difference between, uh, to throw out a random number, 150 beats per minute to 170 beats per minute is going to be the difference between executing a shot well and not executing a shot well. And I think you can practice that. Personally, I think you can train that a little bit in the gym yep. by pushing yourself to that point. Like if I go any harder, if I had to take a shot right now, I'd be screwed. So you could train what that area feels like so you can recognize it later on and stay below that. And try learning breathing to the point where you can try, you know, watch a clock and see how quick you can get it down. Yeah. Like for, for Hunter, the training would be to like have Philip drive up that pass on the icy road heart rate monitor on. and then have him get out and try to see what kind of steady shot he could actually film i Parking mean hit a barn door <laughs> on top of that hill. the things that were coming out of that back seat when we were on some of these real sketchy roads and i mean granted they weren't fun but nothing i, think, I was used to That's... yeah andy and i are both to the point now where I think we've been on some dodgy roads. We've been on sketchy situations to where you realize, okay, I mean, it's gonna be okay. It's not. We're not being reckless, but in the same sense, you know, I'm pretty sure we're okay here, and you know, we're not. We don't have total control of it anyway. But uh, you, on the other hand, were in a whole different uh state of mind there i was out of my comfort zone nothing i was ever used to you know i'm pretty green when it comes to trips like this that's another thing too if i could tell anybody any anything i would say you know it's okay sometimes to step out of your comfort zone because this trip was a blast you know now you pay to step out of your comfort zone it's essential yeah yeah, you need to you need to you know to expand yourself i think you're gonna i think you'll be I think you'll be a better, I know you'll be a better camera person, and I think you'll be, I think you could even be better, you know, with you, you you work for other people, people that hire you, and I think this will be, be an experience that's probably at a little bit more demanding level than probably a lot of the people that you work with, and I think you're going to get to the point where you, you're, you'll, you may even be able to look at someone that's you know it's worked up getting ready to make a shot on camera, and you might be able to just say, hey, man. Calm down. Calm down, bro. Turn it down notch. Yeah, just let's bring this down. Let's bring this down some. <laughs> yeah, so <something laughs> like that. Next time we're on the trip, be like, dude, you need to just knock it down about three notches. <laughs> Get your crap together. Let's do this. Let's party. That's what Andy would say. Yeah. What, yeah. Uh, for this trip, is there anything that you packed on this trip that you think – you really could have done without <sighs> I mean that's tough to say because what we packed for is exactly what for happened a, we packed for I a pack in hunt packed perfectly actually because um, actually I packed great I just got lucky and I ended up with everything that I needed um, except food except food yeah I would anybody that's never done an out of the country trip you might be in the same boat that I am you might just love American food, whatever that may be, that might be a bad representation of that. But <laughs> pack a few uh, things from home that are illegal to come across airlines. Um, one thing I would tell everybody to do is to, if you're going to do on do a demanding hunt like what we just did, you better be in good shape. You better be like preparing for it mentally and physically. And the last thing is have good gear. Don't skip out on. Yeah. Don't go. You know, buy cheap gear for a demanding weather um, hunt like this to where, you know, you're, you're on the extremes of everything. Like, you're going to be hiking a lot, cold weather, rain, snow, sleet. You don't know what you're going to run, in, run into, so don't skip out on good gear. Yeah, I wore, I wore my, uh, just to know how I layered, <clears throat> I wore my, um, just a me- my medium weight, um, just a medium weight wool uh, base and from there I had a number four the 4.0 base layer Under Armour which is you know more of a a thermal layer 
And then I guess two different times, I had two different pants. I wore a pant that was pretty much an early season pant um, because I had two layers underneath. And then I wore full gaiters. Um, and I wore that on the days where it wasn't soaking raining or where the snow wasn't really coming down. On the days it was really coming down, I actually wore um, a bib that was an insulated under armor bib but on those days i had snow camo on but i wore gaiters and for my boots i actually wore a brow tine 800 which everyone had recommended sportivas to me um but i wore i talked to remy warren and remy told me that he wears brow tine 800s for all of his mountain hunts and i told him this train was really going to be steep and he said yeah he goes honestly i think you're going to be fine with it and i actually um went with an all wool sock uh and the first sock i bought i actually bought a couple different brands of full wool socks um ua didn't have full wool socks so i went with um the first one was um, a smart wool all wool heavy sock and it just ended up on the end of my foot after the first day and then the second sock i had was a full calf Kenetrek sock and it man that thing was awesome and I wore that same sock for the next four days trust me we all smelt it yep and uh well the thing was my feet were drying I was comfortable and the other thing I did was and this was a tip that um my buddy um Fred Gross uh IED junkie on Instagram um he told me about for staying warm on his long hunts in uh, up in the Dakotas and I actually bought a pair of men's UGG insoles, um, sheep insoles, and put those in my boots um, because I knew that we would do a lot of hiking. But then once you get on a chamois, you have to stop. And you, the thing is, you get warm, and you don't want to get warm to the point where you're sweating. To when you stop, you're freezing to death because there were top times where we'd get to our position. We'd set up and you gotta just sit there and wait for these things to get up, start feeding around. And those are the times where you're vulnerable to just start freezing to death. So I was really good. Uh, I was really, really happy with that gear. Um, I was super happy. So yeah, I, I couldn't have, I think I, could, I, I, think I packed, um, I would have liked to, the one thing I would have liked to have done, I thought we were doing a pack-in, so I had a pack frame. I had an outdoorsman uh, pack frame pack because I thought we were having to haul in bags and everything. Um, but once I realized we were more or less uh, staying in a little cabin and kind of going up the mountain every morning before light and then coming off after dark, I would have been way happier with just an 1800 pack to where I could have brought a you know, pretty much a, a rainproof style layer. I could have brought um, my jet boil, a meal. Um, I always I liked my big Yeti thermos full of hot water. I'd put in there every morning, and I'd bring um, a couple Alpha Brains that I would actually mix in with that hot water, and I could have it was almost like a hot peach tea almost. Um, it's the first time I've done it that way, or um, you know, Andy packed straight water in case we wanted to make coffee. And then we actually brought kill cliffs here. Um, because man, those things made a world of difference for me yeah, when I was in Alberta and we brought, you brought a kill cliff for each day. I brought a kill cliff for each day. And then you brought some of the new ones, the endure, the endures. And they were actually for me when I was at home and just, you know, they, I, I got some, and they said, yeah, just, you know, it's a post-workout thing. I'm never really that thirsty post-workout. So I I kind of tried one, but I just really wasn't in the mood for it. But when I was here and we came off the mountain and I was, like, dehydrated, I soaked that thing up and I didn't feel like – if I really felt like it did something because normally you can drink a water and then a minute later you're totally parched needing another one. So – I can't say enough about it. I think it was, I think, like, other than you not liking any of the French food, I think when it came to hydration, we could have easily faced altitude sickness or dehydration. Or both. With these, or both with these conditions. And none of us struggled with that. I mean, at all. 
No. Everybody was taking swigs of these kill cliffs. There was like heaven in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. The other thing I want to just plug out there too, this every, you know, every so often I try things that are things that I, they're not a sponsor, 100%, not a sponsor, just something I found. Um, it's a company called Off Grid Food Company. I can't say a lot about them. I've actually just found them. Um, somehow they popped up in my feed on my Instagram and I kind of just looked at it a few times and thought I'm just going to buy some of these which a lot of the products that I have I just I buy them and I bought a whole bunch of them and uh, tried a few at the house before I came and was like man this is good so I always ever since that that trip to Croatia I always try to pack something I can eat every day that is within my own diet if nothing else it helps your stomach stay regular i mean you need to be able to drop a deuce when you're out here you don't want to be all bound up um so I, i'm not going to say this thing made me do that but um i bought i'm trying to think of what the name of it was it was it was called predator fuel and it was more or less a really good pack-in um almost like a full breakfast meal you add you pretty much boil water in your jet boil and then pour pour it in there stir it up and it was um my favorite one was the blue raz i actually bought one of each flavor just to try every single one um, but it had uh, blueberries and raspberries in it it was a really good um whole whole oatmeal meal and it also has you know, pretty much a full scoop of protein powder in it too, which I thought was ingenious. Um, and I just pounded one of those whole bag of one of those in the morning. And I was totally satisfied when we got, you know, by the time, you know, if we had something for lunch or I, I'm sure I could have made it to dinner without even a problem, but that was pretty much, that was pretty much what I took that I really liked and the thing that I think I could have done without. What about you, Andy? I mean, again, it's hard to say because I packed for that long hike in. So I think I brought probably a couple layers that I could have not packed, but I was bringing up extra stuff. Mm-hmm. So it could come to the top of the hill. Uh, a smaller pack, like you said. I was limited with the very large, the, the Badlands Summit pack, which I do like. But if you don't have that much stuff on your back, it's massive and it sticks up over your head, which can become problematic. Yeah, that was one thing. Is I noticed that on I think on my pack too, just because it is a pack-in pack and it's it's supposed to have so much yeah. cubic space, which is great if when, you need it. Yeah, when you're packing in and you need it, but when you're stocking and you've got this pack that's higher than your head, especially with what we're doing, because we're we're spotting these things in these rocks and you're trying to you're trying to navigate below within, ridge line. yeah below ridge line within the rocks to where the animals don't see you which a chamois is in the antelope family so their their long range vision is um, you know it's so good um and then you're trying to just peek over peek through bushes or peek between rocks to try to get an eye on something without it seeing you first and then if you have this big hump above your head like coming up you don't realize you know i didn't realize till i looked at someone else like holy crap every day when i'm like wearing my backpack and we're in close range and i'm trying to just peek i've actually got this other big square thing that's coming up with my head and yeah i definitely what grabs bushes as well like you try to go under a tree but you have to go six to eight inches lower mm-hmm. to not get it to scoop the bag and then mm-hmm. it pulls the branch yeah. back and this was the wor- absolute worst place yeah. that you'd want to ever have that just having i mean you'd want something super close to your body because it you know you're navigating through some thick thick nasty stuff if i was going to bring anything else if i could have added anything or if, or if i would have known we was going to be staying in a place that had electricity I would have brought a shoe dryer. Can you take a portable shoe dryer? Yeah, and boot dryer. And you want and a you boot dryer or shoe dryer? A boot dryer. Sorry. Okay. Right a boot dryer. Yeah. Because you take dry feet for granted, you know. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. Or select different boots. Yeah. Correct. Correct. So. 
Hunter learned a couple things. One, the first day his feet were fully soaked, tried to dry his boots, never took his insoles out. So in the morning when he stepped in there with his nice fresh socks, <laughs> that was it. Never even made it out of the house. So I taught him the trick of taking your soles out, wringing them out, turning your boots upside down. Uh, so the next day was a super rainy day, which we were all pretty waterlogged. My feet actually were 100% dry the entire time. I think the only moisture I had was maybe for me, but it was I never, ever felt cold in my feet. Um, but then the last day, you got a little bit too frisky with the fireplace with your boots. I was wearing leather boots, and they dried up perfectly, but they shrunk because I was wearing leather. <laughs> so that's... Lesson number six, you know, it's good to dry them if you have a way at night times, but if you have a leather boots, make sure you don't leave them on there too long because they will shrink up a whole size. Don't burn them. Don't burn them. All right. Okay, so that's all you get. Is that all you got, Andy? That's all I get. This wasn't like a – this was a recap, a recap podcast. Yeah, I had a solar charging solution in case we – because we were supposed to be up in the middle of nowhere. You might have had problems with some of the battery recharging. Because uh, it was USB based instead of a three prong or a one ten. Uh, <coughs> yeah, yeah, that's one thing we would need to. If, if we're if for filming, uh, Andy had a solar charger, which is really awesome. But you know, you need to make sure you have the ability to adapt that to a plug in charger if that's what you have. And that was the one thing as a group, which they make, but they're substantially larger than just the USB ones. Yeah. I mean, and that's just one thing as a group we all overlooked when we were in our packing communication. I think one thing that would be important if you're packing, um, Annie and I have hunted enough together now to know things that we like. Like, you know, for example, you know, we know we, we wanted to at least have a charger for our phone. Both of us like to try to capture stuff with our phones when we're out. Coffee solution. Uh, coffee solution is a definite. Kill Cliff was also, so, yeah. you know, I... I didn't, you know, when we, when you went to Alberta, you brought everything because you were driving. You brought all that. Whereas this time I said, okay, you doing a jet boil? Yes. So obviously, you know, there's no reason when you're packing for every single person that's going out there to have a jet boil in their pack. There's no reason for everybody out there to be, you know, it's nice if one, you know, if you're, if you're hunting as a group, you know, Treat it like that. Yeah, treat it like that. Just say, okay, here's what we need as a group. You know, okay, we need a jet boil. Check. We need certain who's going to pack the food, who's going to pack a first aid kit. Like everybody needs just kind of divvy that out, and that way everyone knows who's got it and what pack it's in. And I think you'll be in really good shape as a group. Any of you guys have a medical kit? I don't. Did you bring one? I didn't. I brought a small one. I knew you did. I told you to, actually. What would we do without Andy? I would just let you die and use it for myself. Or dead. You're like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah dude. I would could've... say that's one other thing to consider. Two tourniquets with both your pant legs. Yeah. I would say that was one other thing to consider. Or just bring something that you could stop bleeding with. Yeah. That's all. That's it? That's all I got. All right. So, highlights of France was what for you, Hunter? It was all highlights. It was all went by in a flash, but the scenery was nothing that I've ever seen before. That's a beautiful country, France. Okay, what about culture experience? Was culture there... experience. Not fond of it. Well, fromage. Fromage. Ugh. <laughs> Outside of cheese. I mean, what did you think of, you got to meet some farmers, you got to experience like Super how, nice people in France, you know. Um, you know, we had a little bit of a struggle between, like, language. You know, I didn't yep. understand a dang thing any of these Frenchies <laughs> said, but I'm uh, sure they shook my head understand. and went along with it. Uh, it went by great, though. I can't wait to come back. Hopefully I get the chance to come back with you guys for round two of the chamois beatdown. Yeah, the chamois beatdown round two, two is going to happen, and we're all going to – we're all going to – it's going to be that much more rewarding when it happens. That's the best part about it now yeah. is we know we all want it so bad. Now we got to go get that baby and get it done. I want to see one of these things close up. 
Yeah. They don't look big. I think it's about the size of our backpack with legs on it. If not smaller. Maybe horns about the size of the first whitetail buck I shot. Yeah. If you don't mind me adding in one thing, when you're shooting at a chamois and they're so much smaller than a whitetail, do you think that would kind of get in your head when it comes to yardages? Like it looks like it's... Your op, yeah, your margin of error for yardage with a bow. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely minimal. Like that's why um, when we were actually stalking, my guy there was a there was a bedded chamois, or he thought it was going to be bedded, waiting for us there. Um, but <laughs> and it was hard too. We did a hunt, which I'm I knew would be the case. Doing a hunt with four people, you just have more noise, and I mean it's. It lowers your odds. I mean, if I do a hunt, if I did a hunt like this by myself, my odds would most certainly be higher. No different than if Andy went by himself or the two of you went. It's you definitely have better odds than the four of us all wanting to be together when it happened. Huge footprint. Yeah, and so we were sneaking up to the spot, and my guide said, "I will range. You just shoot." And I just said, "Well, what?" what's your rate you know i don't know what i'm not going to just shoot especially you know it's one thing if it's 30 yards or less but when you start to get 35 40 45 50 and the difference is 45 or 47 and this thing is maybe it looks like the body mass could maybe be shooting a pumpkin yeah 10 inches deep at the best so it's like uh okay i don't know if i'm going to trust this so then i said okay you range that and let me range it let's see how our our rangefinders calibrate, and they didn't. They weren't the same, no. which... Well, he was in meters. Yeah, at first, yeah, yeah. He was in meters. I was in yards, which would have been a major mistake. The second thing is his rangefinder had no angle compensation at all. Mine did. And then on top of all that, after we got that part figured out, just standing in the same place, both in yards, <laughs> ranging, one person was 60 yards, one person was 62 that's a miss chamois i mean that's all that work we did and i just say okay that's fine and i go up there and i pull back and he says 62 and i shoot and he's really 60 i mean that's me clipping the top of that thing's back because i just trusted his range finder when my bow was actually sighted in and calibrated to mine so lots of lessons but one more lesson yep is when you go to get a rangefinder, check your angle compensation. Make yep. sure it has what you're needing. Yeah. Yeah, that was one thing I learned. I learned the hard way. <coughs> my shot was a spectacular one. It would have been within my top three field shots I ever made. Um, but I shot just a little bit high, and I mean he dodged it too but even if he wouldn't have dodged it it would have been high I think based on just looking at it and then I started thinking about I was ranging and I'm like man that calibration for my cut just does not seem right so I actually made a call to the manufacturer uh, and just I'm shooting a Leopold and they told me that the model that I'm shooting the angle the automated angle compensation only works to a certain degree of angle and after that you have to manually figure it out using the rifle mode you have to realize what true range is and then the percentage of cut and then mathematically figure out your cut which if I would have known that 100% I would have without a shadow of a doubt I would have said okay, if it's over this distance, I need to go through my menu quick, get a different one. Or for that matter, I could have chose a different model. But I came out here, honestly, I never shot. I don't think I practiced any shots over that 30 degree mark just because I really don't have the ability to at Iowa. But that was a big, that was a big mistake because I told, you know, and that's what I told him. I said, well, dang, dude, this changes everything because some of the some of the shots we could have taken would have been at 50 degree slopes that were just which is ridiculous if people have never taken a yeah. shot that steep yeah it'd be like standing on the on your roof and pointing your bow straight down it's yeah. like you gotta watch so you don't shoot your big toe off yeah you gotta watch that big toe all right let's catch some shut eye
thanks everybody for tuning in to another knock on podcast hunter you want anyone you want to tell people where where to find you on Instagram slam where can they find the you can find me on hunter instagram Phelps. facebook pretty much any social media hunter no, phelps, phelps 97 good luck guys we'll be back in the states tomorrow what do you say any how can you follow that cleared hot Unless you're not. Cleared hot to put my head on that pillow. (laughs) (laughs) You look like it. All right. See you, everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com